Hello and welcome to Change is Possible podcast. My name is Ani Filipova and I'm your host. When I left my banking career to try something new, the number one question everyone asked me was, how did you find the courage? The thing is, it's not about the courage. It is about knowing what you want and planning for it. That's why I started this podcast to help you make your career change possible. Each of our guests have done a successful career change and we are going to discuss practical advice, actionable tips and inspirational stories that can help you to get unstuck and transition into work that you love. Let's get started. Hi everyone, my guest today is Diana Wu David, who is a former Financial Times executive and author of The Future Proof, Reinventing Work in an Age of Acceleration. She's also a, an adjunct professor at Columbia Business School, EMBA. She started her career as a management consultant and assistant to Dr. Henry Kissinger at Kissinger Associates in New York. Diana founded her own company, Future Proof Lab, in 2016, and she works with global leaders, companies, and boards to enhance their ability to adapt, contribute, collaborate, and grow. And I'm very excited uh, to welcome you, Diana, at, at uh, my podcast. Welcome. How are you? Thank you. I'm fabulous. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to hear that somebody is fabulous. <laughs> Let's dive into the discussion. I'm sure there will be so much of great tips, information that you're going to give with your rich experience. I'm very excited to start. So the first question is, what was your career in the beginning? Let's go back to the very beginning. How did you start um, in the world of work? And um, I remember looking at your profile that you work with Henry Kissinger. So that's an interesting, very interesting thing. Over to you. <laughs> Yes. So my first job right out of university was working for Kissinger Associates, and I studied international relations, moved to New York. And then, because I hadn't gotten a job after school, I went to the New York Times paper newspaper and was looking through the classifieds. And I, I answered an ad in the classifieds that said, multinational corporation and looking for multilingual. And I spoke French and English at that time. So I thought, why not? It was probably one of 10 that I sent my paper resume to. And I went and it was this crazy recruiting firm and they didn't tell me what the job was. And, you know, they were all in this like awful rabbit warren of an office and they were all chain smoking. And they were like, yeah, we're going to send you here, but we're not going to tell you what the company is. <laughs> um, it was like they were undocked, like blockchain, right? And, I, and yeah. I, I am just curious enough to be like, okay, you know, <laughs> what's the worst that could happen? So I did, I went and I walked in and they were like, hello, Kissinger Associates. And, and I thought, wow, that <laughs> is it real? <laughs> and yeah. I just kept coming back thinking, well, maybe I'll get to meet Henry Kissinger as part of the interview process. And in fact, I ended up getting hired as one of three assistants to Henry Kissinger. And so that was my first two years out of college. That was my first job. And it was when he was writing his book, Diplomacy. And I mean, so many things happened, right? So 
I remember getting all the press calls when the Russian parliament fell and, you know, mm-hmm. when Nixon passed away. There were so many things that it felt like being part of history. It was a really interesting window into the world from college, which for me was a small liberal arts studying the world to, you know, not, not being a major player in it, but being exposed to that. Yeah. No, no, amazing. From from school to such an amazing job. I can't imagine better start in the world of work than this one. But then the thing is you you work for Henry Kissinger and then what is next? <laughs> you know, what can top this? So what did you do after that? It must have been quite quite a change. It was very difficult to move on from that. And I think that a lot of people that younger people that I talk to or even older people if they get some kind of plum job that is externally very impressive, that everybody, you know, you go work for Goldman Sachs or um, you go work for, for me, Financial Times, like something where a lot of people know the brand and it's a coveted placement, um, it's really difficult to move on. And so you see that with people who are get that great job and then they don't know what to do because everybody's going to ask them, why did you leave? You know, um, what the reality is that the brand was good, right? Kissinger is well known. And certainly for me, having studied international relations, but the actual job was not so great. And, um, you know, it was like, go get the tea or whatever it was like, whatever I remember, you know, it was whatever that first job is for all of us where, you know, we really, and, and in fact, it wasn't exactly my first job. I interned at a media company and some, that first job is often not great, but it teaches mm-hmm. you a lot. And it doesn't necessarily teach you. I didn't learn necessarily how to be a diplomat, but I did learn how to show up day after day. I sort of joke that my disruption career started there because everybody else was actually using a typewriter. And I went in and we had to write all these letters to the Boy Scouts congratulating them. And I said, we could do that on a computer. We could have a template and we could just change the name and then you can sign it. And they were like, we can do that. So, you know, that was my first exposure to automation. And hopefully I replaced a large part of my job by doing that. But where do you go from there? I went to business school and part of it was that sense that, you know, where do I go from here? Like I this is an opportunity. It's almost like a springboard to something else. And so I went to Columbia Business School. And part of it was was also to get out of my sort of amorphous, most junior person by about 20 years in that whole firm to, you know, something that was more real in terms of the, what I did day to day. So I went to business school. And then I went to consulting because of course that was what everybody else wanted. So I thought it must be really good, right? (laughs) But also because I was one of the youngest people in business school and I felt like it would be a bit of a finishing school. And I went into PricewaterhouseCoopers and tech entertainment media and Infocom. That that was a mouth, it was the tights practice, thinking that I really love the media. I really love storytelling. It's always been really interesting to me. And I spent a couple of years and it was, I learned so much. I probably learned more than than business school about just about working in teams and about how the world worked. And it was every couple of months you'd go to a different company. But it again was, it wasn't adventurous enough 
for me. I'm not for on a personal basis too. You know, I traveled almost every week, but it was like to Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, or <laughs> to, to like sort of large industrial estates like in Reston, Virginia. And I just remember thinking, wow, I don't want to be doing this. Just sort of every day is the same. And I don't want to wake up and think I never went anywhere or had an adventure. So I decided that I would go to Asia because I'd never been there before. And here I am (laughs) 20 years later. So it must have been the right choice. Yeah. Okay. And and how in Asia and then FT, how did it happen? How did you start in FT? So when I got to Asia, I was here for, through a, a nonprofit grant, actually, where I was placed with Internet World, Meckler Media. It was during the, you know, big internet boom of 1999. I was involved through consulting in that New York, and I came here. And my boss at the time basically said, okay, we got you just call all the people. I basically did programming for big internet conferences. Um, and it was a great way to start my career in Asia, really, because I got to know so many people. Mm-hmm. I love new media. I love emerging tech. I love disruption. So I went into a startup after that and the startup bond. And then I went into the venture capital um, company that I had invested in it. And then went and traveled a little bit with my husband and then went and started my own company. So I had a period of experimentation Mm -hmm. um, sort of after business school and consulting and before joining another corporate job. That was such a pleasure. And uh, I think that each one was to a certain extent a hypothesis about what I might like and a hypothesis and I will say also a reaction to maybe what I didn't like in previous experiences and I feel quite grateful that I was able to do that and the other thing that I learned was that I could always work my way into another job so the risk the downside risk <laughs> was actually low because my relationship and my network was so high and my understanding of my own capabilities, I think, was okay. Yeah, no, great. And I completely agree with you. Being in different companies, um, meeting different people, you, you get to learn so many different things that one job and one place will never, never give it to you. And you come out enriched and potentially knowing <laughs> what is your forte and what you want to do in the future. So you knew that you want to, you liked media and then you went to Financial Times? Yeah, I I do like media, but I think at every pivot that you do, you have to think about what is it that I have to offer and, ha- you know, what, what in, in terms of my experience. And at that point I had experience in consulting in media, investing in media, startup media. Like I'd I'd done almost everything that you could think of in media. So it just made sense and all over the world. And so then I had to kind of look out and say, okay, so what does the world need now that I can match to? And I, I actually really enjoyed investing when I was in venture capital. And at that time, I thought that's what I would do. 
but at the time I had a two month old daughter and all of the jobs required, you know, Monday to Thursday in China fly back on Friday. And um, so I decided that I would find something else. And I ended up through my relationships, landing a job at Financial Times, frankly, doing something that circulation that I had never done before. Mm-hmm. We, we used to joke that, you know, I was the only person they could find that knew enough to know what I would have to do and kind of execute <laughs> on it but not enough that I knew what I was getting myself into, (laughs) (laughs) but always, you know, willing to give it a try, I think. And, and in fact, I think it says a lot about somebody told me financial times was like 125 year old startup when I joined. And I thought, well, that's a good fit. Like I like places that are willing to take risks and change. And I, loved the values of financial times and my colleagues and you know what what I felt like we had a purpose in terms of credibility of information and so it was a fantastic couple of a fantastic decade of full-time employment with them great and so after such a successful career and you said you were completely aligned with the values of financial times why did you decide to leave and go into a new, completely new territory? Well, <laughs> one of the things is I haven't entirely left. <laughs> so ironically, I had, you know, and the nice thing about some larger companies and some smaller is that you can have different jobs within them. And I think that really smart companies hold on to their talent and can rotate them. Um, So I did circulation. And then after that, I was able to segue into more corporate development, internal entrepreneur. And I really enjoyed that. But like most companies, there was, you know, restructurings and and, um, then less of the stuff that I was interested in was happening in outside of headquarters in London. And so um, for me, I remember just thinking, this is really great. I had a number of opportunities to change careers within the company, which I think is always really important. But at some point, I felt like the opportunities to grow had really diminished without moving back to headquarters. So ironically, I haven't left. I started as an internal entrepreneur, the Asia portion of our FD board directors program, not because of anything but my you know my strategic bet that we had to have a portfolio of different products that we could offer our audience and this executive education was one of them so i launched it and then in the weeks leading up to deciding to leave and my boss at the time was really generous and said you know maybe we had just been bought by Nikkei so you can do transition etc and I, I I really I still love the Financial Times and eventually said no I think I need to take some time away in order to understand and make better decisions right and mm-hmm. I remember doing the budgeting in September and you know we were like we're going to go 10% extra and we always hit our numbers and there's you know late nights talking about the excel spreadsheets and i remember too thinking like what if i just spent less time on this 
mm-hmm. and more time on the other things that really matter to me. Even, you know, be it exploring different interests to write a book or to spend more time with family or whatever it was. And I decided to go, but in the weeks leading up to that said, you know, I really love the board director program and I know I'm leaving you in the lurch. So if I can come and be the non-executive director of the non-executive directors program, then I would love to do that. And so we had a, okay, you know, exit stage left and then re-enter stage right. And I remember, cause I had a goodbye party and I think it was like on a Thursday and Friday, I came back into the office and they said, you know, you left, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think that, you know, I've been thinking a lot about the great resignation, right? And I, I was thinking maybe, maybe that's kind of a false binary. You know, in this day and age, there's people who are leaving their companies and coming back as consultants and, you know, McKinsey's put all this money into their alumni network so that they can continue relationships with mm-hmm. your colleagues and with the organization that you that you know, that you understand, that you would like to continue to work with in some way, but just maybe not in the old style way. Yeah. So that's how I left. It wasn't to start my own company. It was just to take a year sabbatical and I'm still on my sabbatical. <laughs> <laughs> I see. So um, you mentioned that and uh, that you were working on the board director program, but you yourself were serving on different boards, even one while working for FT. And uh, talking to many people who just like um, me have um, decided to exit the corporate world and started um, a portfolio career, many different types of um, jobs. How can people like this with similar backgrounds, executives, find and secure non-executive director board positions? What would be your advice? Well, one of the people that we had come speak, one of my friends, Elaine Young, who is um, on the board of the Linkreed Ascot down in Singapore, she once said that one of the best ways to even figure out if you'd like to be on a board is to join a nonprofit board. And she compared it to golf in the sense that if you've never played golf, mm-hmm. then you're going to get out there and you're going to you know, you know, be looking around wondering if you're going to get hit by the golf buggy and you're not mm-hmm. going to know which iron to get. And you're going to be so worried about all those things that you won't have time for the game. And so serving on a nonprofit board is a good opportunity for you to contribute mm-hmm. and to understand how a board works, understand even what your contribution to a board is, because it's more than just your expertise. It's also your character, you know, the way that you relate differently. So, so I think that that kind of preparation can be quite useful. And it also allows you then to figure out, okay, you know, what other boards it's good for networking as well. And then and then levering up to other boards that you might be able to contribute to either, you know, on a paid basis or equity basis or whatever works for your portfolio. Great. No, no, that's a great advice. And um, another question on um, another kind of a career type for portfolio professionals is um, 
you are also a lecturer, right? In Columbia Business School, London Business School, University of Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. How would people find such opportunities? How can they become lecturers? Is this a side hustle? It does it start like a side hustle and then becomes into something that is paid and more regular? What was uh, your experience? So my experience in that year after leaving Financial Times was was a, it was sort of back to that one moment where I had you know experimentation and a lot of different options. I wanted to experiment quite a lot, which is actually in my book, Future Proof, Reinventing Work in the Age of Acceleration, there is four future-proof skills. And the first one is experimenting. And so being able to say, okay, what are all the things I've dreamed of? And what is the sort of smallest experiment I can make to test my hypothesis that I am Mm -hmm. going to enjoy and love this? And teaching was definitely one of them. I started guest lecturing for pretty much anybody. I mean, the the first (laughs) way to find these the opportunity is to tell everybody you know, oh, I really want to, you know, lecture at a class. Can you do that? And um, as somebody who now has their own classes, I do look for people to bring into my class because part of my my network and my access is what I can bring to the students. And so my old professor from Columbia Business School said, oh, come and lecture at my class on digitization. And then I spoke, you know, in various different places at University of Hong Kong, I knew some folks and and said, anytime you want, I'd love (laughs) to come and talk. And so ironically, that that worked really well. It's also their campuses next to my house. So it was like, can you talk in half hour? I'd be like, sure, no problem. (laughs) Let me just get out of my pajamas. After a while, I said to somebody at HKU, you know, this is great. I'd really like my own class. And so they were really generous and and found an opportunity when it came up to give me a class on interpersonal dynamics. And that, again, has been something that I've levered up to. My hypothesis was I like teaching. My experience over the last several years has been that I love teaching. There are certain circumstances in which I love it even more than others. (laughs) And so I've tried to optimize around that. It's a, it is part of my diversified portfolio. I think that yeah. you know, part of what we do when we're looking at a new career and portfolio careers is trying to diversify revenue streams and sort of de-risk revenue yeah. streams. And I feel like I've done it enough that I know it's one of the ones I want to teach or that I want to keep. It pays vastly different depending on what country and what school you go to. So I, mm-hmm. I just continue to gather information about that mm-hmm. and also try to find out how can it also serve other parts of my business. So rather than just having four different things I do and somewhat high switching costs, I try to find things where you know I, for instance, now am teaching at the FT and I'm also teaching at HKU and some are MBAs and some are board directors. So they're very different in their non-competing, but I can, something I learn in one, I can apply to the other. And so there's a sort of virtuous circle. No, absolutely. And I have, um, from my other discussions, one person said, you know, the first year 
first six to 12 months, you give, give, give. And then only after that, you start receiving. And, um, and that's actually what you said in other words. But even with me, the first lectures I gave were uh, pro bono. And mm-hmm. we were talk- I said, whatever you want, I'm going to talk about. I mean, I'm coming from back. <laughs> whatever you choose, just pick up a topic. Great. So let's talk about your company. Your company is all about future-proofing in this age of immense change, where the pace is so, so high. How did you decide to open your company and, and what is it um, about? What do you do? So one of the, the sort of surprises, I think, of leaving and designing a company or designing really a portfolio career is that, and I'm sure the same is true for you, we're all about growth, right? If we've had big corporate careers, it is all about how can you take something and scale it and, you know, make it as big as possible and as revenue positive, you know, as as possible. And so what I found, let's say over the last five or six years is that in the beginning, what I knew from a financial perspective is that I didn't have a lot of pressure because I'm very lucky to have two income households. I didn't have that pressure in the first year, but what I knew that I wanted to do is to be forever employable. Like I didn't want to, you know, I, I let my skills lapse and I didn't want to I wanted to explore how I could do that. And so I continued to be on boards and and I tried things like teaching and I did my TED talk which you know wasn't for money, but it it launched my speaking career, and I did some consulting, and I, I did a lot of different things, mm-hmm. and I found that my company has waxed and waned like that uh, because it is my company is basically company of one. I do have staff that help me mostly virtually and and sort of bring people in on an as needed basis. The mm-hmm. future proofing has been teaching, and it's been what are the skills that you need to find your own place in the future? What are the skills that companies need to learn in terms of um, creating inspiring futures for themselves and their people? And in the, in the last years, it's been teaching, it's been consulting, it's been coaching. It's always been that, but I have been flexible in terms of the execution. So sometimes a CEO wants to bring me in to say, like, I need to lead us into the future. I need a sounding board, both on the future focus and on my leadership. Sometimes it's, I feel like I know the future I'm trying to create. I need you to help my team get there. Mm-hmm. And so over, and sometimes I do less work and sometimes I do more. So after the first year of me leaving FT and yet still working for FT just on the board director program, both of my parents were sick. So I optimized around the time I could spend with them and I did a lot less work. And then when they passed away, I expanded and did a lot more work. And one of the things that I love about being company of one and kind of master of my own destiny is the fact that I can do that, that sort of scale up and scale down. The thing that I find really surprising is that is that I do like that because I, I was sort of trained to scale and I haven't done that with my company. 
No, absolutely. When you say these things, it just as if you're saying my thoughts because they're exactly the same. <laughs> because the thing is, um, you push yourself and you just grow, grow, grow and further develop, be the best, be this, be that. And then the time flies and time never, never comes back. If you don't use it the way you want now, that's it. You know, you, you missed it. So that was one of the reasons why I did the change, because just like you said, I wanted to be able to use the time the way I want to use it without mm. uh, any other factors, but my family. So yeah. um, it's an amazing transformation. If there is one thing that is the best in this new life, this is the thing that you're yeah. free to choose. When, with whom, how much, etc. And let's now move to um, just our final question, unfortunately. You spoke about this, but let's go a little bit more in details in that topic of future of work and the trends. What are the trends that you think are going to be developing in the next several years? Would um, the great resignation continue or are the corporates going to change? What is your opinion? Well, the, our conversation, I feel like our, our whole conversation leads to this point because I feel like I'm living the future of work and I lecture on the future of work, you know, for a living. Most of the 2021 speeches that I gave were about the future of work to large corporations. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that the trend in the future of work, one of them is the power of one, <laughs> <laughs> which is interesting <laughs> enough as your TED talk, but I think of it as the power of, of the individual creator, right? And even in Web3, we'll own our data, we'll, we'll be able to have on the blockchain our ownership of our own creation or our IP. And that is really powerful. I can be sitting in, you know, all I need is a laptop and I have a consulting business and I, you know, I, I can be anywhere. And I can just hire people that can do the things that I used to have to be in a company for. So that's one. The other is then the power of many. And I see the future of work as these sort of liquid super teams, which is the way that Hollywood and Bollywood have always been, where we come together, we do something together great, you know, be it a project or it could be three months, it could be three years. It's our tour of duty and a a certain firm, and then we disband. And mm -hmm. so that's another thing that I'm living, both of those things I'm living. Yeah. And then one of the third big trends um, beyond power of one, power of many, which some people call the ecosystem, are the application of technology to, to all of the above, right? So you see, you see communities like Friends with Benefits, which is a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization, where people are coming together for community, they're also coming together for work. And they're proposing mm -hmm. projects and going through a selection process and voting up. And um, so some of the blockchain aspects of that are really interesting to me. The ability for machine learning and AI and algorithms to start matching us better mm -hmm. so that... Yeah. If you want to do something and we're both on LinkedIn, we can find each other and we can do that tour of duty, that small project. And in the meantime, you and I will have all be portfolio 
workers of some sort. So you have your podcast, which yeah. maybe you start in your corporate job and then you take some time with your family, but you still have your podcast and maybe you'll go to another corporate job, but that one will be more constant, you know, mm-hmm. and that diversifies your income streams. It diversifies, you know, the portfolio of work that you build. And I think that finally, there will definitely, definitely be no retirement. I think that that is a totally outdated concept. So those are some of the trends that I see in the future of work. No, thank you so much. These were really interesting um, comments. And I completely agree with you that uh, retiring, there is no such concept. Uh, I'm not going to retire ever. (laughs) I like to work. So um, that's something that I really love. So we are at the end of our podcast. Thank you so much for everything that you shared with us. Um, I wish you all the best and I'm sure we'll stay in touch. Thank you. Thank you so much, Annie. I will say one thing, if I may. Of course. There's a lot of anxiety in the future of work. And so what the biggest question, the one question I, I'm always asked is, okay, how do I know where I'm ready and where I'm not? And so mm-hmm. we do have at futureprooflab.com, which is our website for our courses and such, we have 11 questions that will show you where the gaps are for you in the future. And it's a very human quiz and where you can start to make a difference to be more ready for the future. So hopefully that'll be uh, my little gift to the world uh, to lessen everyone's anxiety. No, absolutely. Thank you very much. That would be really helpful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Such a lovely conversation. Bye-bye. Yes. Likewise. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you want to be notified of future episodes, please hit the subscribe button. I would love to hear your feedback. Please write the review whenever you can. Thank you and have a great day.